Just kidding, Patsy. over there and uh, I'm glad they're joining us today. I'm really glad, glad you come and you can tell folks uh, a little more about yourself just so they know or you know you can just preach in God's word which is why you come here today so uh, make it more about him and less about us right uh, but I know many times we'd like to know so I know each and every part of us Mexican restaurant. Mexican restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> if I knew it, I could. I, that why well, I call that the Hardy's Mexican restaurant. <laughs> the other one is the Walmart Mexican restaurant. Okay, we was at the Roses Mexican restaurant, the Hardy's, and 
we the more we talked, the more we realized how much we were a lot alike in the way that we uh, we started out in the ministry, started out in, in the fire and EMS service, and I'm on my 23rd year in it right now. And where Beth is, me and Beth taught a couple EMT classes, EMR and EMT classes together. And, uh, so I've gotten out of the instructor side of it because I want to focus on, on God. And that does take away from uh, from the spiritual side sometimes. It can get overwhelming. So I focused on, on pastoring and, and less of teaching. But I still enjoy it. been in it for a while. I could go anytime. I got my retirement in. I'd go anytime. I just don't want to go yet. Yet. Things are going to change, I guess. Right? It's due in October, so we've got a 15-year-old, a almost 10-year-old, and then we'll have a newborn in October. So we've got a big, we're going to have a big gap in between them. But uh, looking forward to that. Built-in babysitter. We got built-in babysitters. That's right. Yeah, got a couple little extra mamas there. Uh, this morning we're going to actually split up the Beatitudes, and I hope this thing is on. Can you hear me? Because I, I will, I'll run laps around this thing. I don't stand in one spot. Uh, but we're going to be looking at the Beatitudes. We're actually going to split it in half. We're going to look at the first four and then the last four tonight. Uh, so uh, come back because you don't want to miss the last four. It gets pretty good. And I want to say, Isaac, if you hurry up and learn how to play that piano, you'll make a heck of a piano. Just keep practicing. Okay? Just keep practicing. <laughs> um, but I got uh, something I want to read real quick. Uh, I think he was a pastor. His name is James Fisher. And he said this, he said, if you were to take the sum total of all the authoritative articles ever written by the most qualified of psychologists and psychiatric uh, professionals on the subject of mental hygiene, if you were to combine them, refine them, and cleave out the excess verbiage, if you were to take the whole of the meat and none of the parsley, and if you were to have these undulterated bits of pure scientific knowledge concisely concisely expressed by the most capable of living poets, you would have an awkward and incomplete summation of the Sermon of the Mount on the Mount, and that's I know that's a lot of big words right there, and that's not how I preach. I don't use big words. Uh, I, I use little words, and I got to reading this, and he's right. You can take all of these smart people in the world, and you can have them uh, put all these big words together, and you can have them try to explain um, the Beatitudes the best that they can, but they cannot sum up what God has written. They cannot sum up and they cannot uh, put the power behind the Word of God the way that Jesus himself did. When we read this here in a moment, uh, we're going to be reading some stuff in red. And this is going to be Jesus speaking right here. And we're going to look at the Beatitudes. I love Beatitudes. And it's something for us, you know, if you go back to the Old Testament and look, they had the Ten Commandments that they followed. And even up through the New Testament, they followed part of them. But if you look at the Old Testament, you've got the Ten Commandments. If you look at the New Testament, we have the Beatitudes. That's something that we are to follow as Christians. We are to follow the words of Jesus. We are to follow what he has uh, stood up on that mountaintop, and he spoke to the disciples and those that were around him. Uh, J.B. Phillips said this, uh, and this is what people think. And he is, he's right when he says this. This is what people think when they hear about the Beatitudes. Listen to this. He says, happy are the pushers. For they get on in the world. Happy are the hard bold, for they never let life hurt them. Happy are they who complain, for they get their own way in the end. Happy are the carefree, for they never worry over their sins. Happy are the slave drivers, for they get results. Happy are the knowledgeable of the world, for they know their way around. Happy are the troublemakers, for they have to take they have to take notice of them. 
that's the way we look at the Beatitudes. And again, Beatitudes, that, that means happy. When he starts out and says blessed, he's talking about happy. Be happy. Jesus is plain out telling us to be happy. Get, how many miserable Christians have you ever met? You don't. You don't meet a miserable Christian. You meet happy Christians. We got something that we got something to look forward to as Christians. We have heaven as our home. We have uh, the Holy Spirit inside of our hearts. So we have something that the non-believers don't have. Why would we not be happy? Now, are we going to run into some uh, uh, some hard times in life? Absolutely. I promise you that. I, I've never seen in my life a Christian that says that, that life is going to be all biscuits and gravy. All right. As a Christian, we're going to endure a lot of stuff. As Christians, the devil's going to hang around on our back a lot more than, than the non-believers are. But we can still be happy because we have help. we got the Holy Spirit. We've got Jesus. We've got something in our hearts that others don't have. So why wouldn't you smile? Whenever you go through hard times in life, when you go through the loss of a loved one, when you go through the loss of a job, when you start losing income, when things start looking bleak for you, we can still just step back and smile. Because we've got Jesus. So he's telling us here, be happy. Be happy when you mourn. Be happy uh, when things are not going right. Just be happy because you've got me. Jesus didn't say that, but he could have ended that whole mountain or Sermon on the Mount with that right there. Be happy because you've got me. Smile because you've got me. Put a grin on your face because you've got me. I like the Beatitudes here. The Beatitudes should, be the, uh, should represent the character of each and every Christian. When you go through the Beatitudes, and we're going to break them down now, that should represent each one of us. That should be our character. When you look at the Beatitudes, we should be, that should be, that should be looking like in a mirror. And when you look and you read the Beatitudes, that should be reflecting back on you. That should be our character. And all this is pretty evident in the life of of every single Christian I've ever known. You will see this. You're going to see the things we're going to talk about. You're going to see that in Christians. You should see that in the Christians anyway. That's what we're supposed to. We're supposed to be reflecting. So when people see us in this world, when we're going out, and you all go to Walmart, hey, listen, I have not been to Walmart since March of last year. All right? I, I'm, I'm a blessed man. <laughs> best part about COVID is the fact that I don't have to go to Walmart. I like that. I, I get all my stuff at Dollar General. I don't mind. I don't have to wear a mask at Dollar General. Unless you're inside the house. But when you go into Walmart, you go into Dollar General, wherever you go, people are supposed to see that on us. We're supposed to go in with a smile on our face and folks are supposed to see Jesus on us. Amen. Ain't that right? I think when uh, my mom said this, I don't know, Lord, you've said this since I was little. But you may be the only Bible that someone ever reads. And think about that. So when you walk into Dollar General and you got a big smile on your face, and they're going to look at you and say, there's something, something kind of queer about him, something kind of odd about him. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. They want to see Jesus on you wherever you go. So that should be our character. What Jesus is telling us here in, in, the, in a, the Beatitudes, we'll read it in a minute. That should be what folks see on us. Now Jesus himself right here, he preached this message that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Does anybody have any idea why they call it the Sermon on the Mount? Anybody? Something dark. Come on. Who preached it on the mountain? I thought y'all probably thought it was going to be something amazing, didn't you? 
he preached on that. I was over in Israel last year, and uh, we actually went where they say that the Sermon on the Mount took place. And it is amazing to set up on that knoll, and you kind of can see where Jesus would have stood. And the disciples and the, and the multitude down below, and you're looking, and you look straight across, and there's the Sea of Galilee. And I can just imagine what it sounded like and, and what they felt because the, he sent, he's, a, he's a smart man. He set this thing up so that when he spoke, everyone could hear. Now, I feel like they probably felt it in their heart, but also the way that that thing was built, the way that the knoll was and, and, and the way that the, uh, the mountain was laid out, it carried his voice. Man, I tell you what, I was sitting up there and I was looking over that and I thought about the Beatitude. I actually sat there on the bus and read the Beatitude just because that's where we were at. And I could, in my mind, I could just hear Jesus preaching this. And in my heart, I could just see the amazement coming from the disciples and the multitude as they were there listening to him. And what they could have felt or should have felt of what they did feel, just, it just absolutely moved me. But because of, of what he preached and what he preached on, uh, we tend to look over a, a certain aspect of this sermon. What we see when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we read the Beatitudes, is we just think about the multitude. We think about the folks that were there that were listening. We think about those that were sitting on the ground. Because when Jesus preached this, uh, believe it or not, he sat down when he preached this. That's Jewish tradition, is to sit down and teach. And that's what he was doing. And he was, he was, he was teaching and preaching. I'll, I'll call it preaching. It's Sermon on the Mount, so he wasn't teaching on the Mount. He's preaching on the Mount. But he sat when he'd done this. And that was just Jewish tradition. He sat. And they listened. But here's the thing that we tend to overlook when it comes to this right here. The target audience. Who was his target audience? Was it the multitude that was there? It was the disciples. He was preaching and teaching the disciples. There just happened to be other people there. There just happened to be a multitude. We don't know how many were there. There just happened to be a multitude there behind him. So here he is giving lessons to the disciples, and everybody got to hear it. Thank God they got to hear it. Because that word just went a little bit further, a little bit further. So as he's preaching and teaching to the disciples, he's making other disciples right behind him. And those disciples started making other disciples. And then other disciples made other disciples. And look, here we are in 2021, and you're a disciple from what came from the Sermon on the Mount. Believe it or not, it just keeps trickling down. And when you guys leave here, you're going to go make disciples. And those disciples that you make, they're going to go make some disciples. We're going to keep making disciples till the Lord comes and gets us, or we go on by the grace. We're going to keep making disciples. And so we got to remember that he was teaching the disciples, and everybody else heard it, which is a good thing. That's a great thing. If you got your Bibles open to Matthew 5, stand with me just a moment. Yes, I'm one of those. Stand with me, Matthew 5, 1. Matthew 5, 1 starts out and says, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And we're going to stop with that one right there because you've got to come back to this rest of it tonight. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we start out in your word, Lord, we thank you for the good word. We thank you for uh, this sermon that your son preached. We thank you for this message. 
that he instilled in each one of the hearts of the disciples. Lord, we thank you for the message that was instilled in those, those onlookers of the multitude that was surrounding them. Lord, we thank you for these words and how they touch our hearts and how they give us some direction and how they give us, uh, how they build up our character. If we would just, uh, add, just heed to uh, what is written for each one of us. And Father, today as we go into this revival service, I pray, Lord, that you would just bless the hearts of those that are here. I pray, pray Lord, that you would just touch the hearts of those that are here, Lord, I pray that you would prick the hearts through the Holy Spirit of those that are listening, those that are watching, those that are here inside this congregation. I pray, Lord, that you would just have your will and way in this service. Father, this morning we just uh, pray for liberty. Lord, I pray that you just loosen my tongue this morning, Lord, and just that uh, as we get into your word, I pray that uh, you just bind up Satan those demons and place them outside the doors of this church. Lord, let us not have any hindrance as we preach your word. God, and I pray that you would just again touch and have your will and way inside this church. Lord, I just want to thank you again for an opportunity to preach. And I pray, Lord, you just bless us all and bless our time that we have here together. All this in Son's name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. So the first four are going to be dealing with our relationship with God and, and what it means to be a Christian and some of the needs that we have. That's, that's a lot to, to pack into just four. But there's a lot here that we need to be picking apart in the Beatitudes. And the first thing we're going to look at this morning, blessed are the poor. Verse 3 again says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now this refers to being poor in spirit, not broke as a convict. Right? He's not talking about your wallet. He's talking about poor in spirit right here. Poor in spirit means to be poor in the sight of God. In other words, you are spiritually bankrupt. All right? Not your pocketbook, but you're spiritually bankrupt. And he's trying to uh, explain to us how uh, we can be spiritually bankrupt. Now, I want to go into another, uh, another little bit of scripture here to, to make a good point. Uh, over in Luke 18, if you want to go there, Luke 18, 9, the Bible says, um, And he spake this parable unto a certain, unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners and unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, abased and he that humbleth himself should be exalted now this parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee uh, praying in the temple is something that we uh, we can actually see that right now in 2021 we can see this in the current uh, state of this world that we live in we can actually see this in some of the churches that are worshiping right now we see the same parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and, and it's sickening. You would think that that would go away, but there are still some self-righteous people in this world, believe it or not. There are people that think they're better than others. Can you imagine that? There are people, do y'all have them in Ash County? I, I don't know. we got them in Watauga. I don't know about Ash, but we got some self-righteous people over our way. we we got to get away from that. We can't be like the Pharisee. You, you ain't got, there ain't no room in a church for a Pharisee. We'll make room for a Pharisee in church, you know, to come here to Jesus. But there's no room for that type of attitude that they bring with them. We can't be like that Pharisee. The tax collector 
came to the realization that without God, his life would never amount to anything. Folks, if I can't tell you anything else this morning, I'm going to tell you this. Your life ain't never going to amount to squat without Jesus. Your life ain't going to mean nothing in, in this world without Jesus. Your life will never mean anything, period, without Jesus. If you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, you ain't got nothing. Number one, you ain't got a home. You might have a home here, but you ain't got a home up there. I know I've got a little, I tell my church, I've got a little one-room shack out back behind somebody else's mansion when I get to heaven. I don't want a mansion. I'll be happy with a little old cabin. Give me this little one-room shed somewhere. I'll be just as happy, but I'm going to be in heaven one way or the other. Without Jesus, you ain't got nothing. Tax collector figured that out pretty quick. He ain't got nothing if he ain't got Jesus. He knew that he couldn't save himself and could never do anything uh, that would make himself worthy in the sight of God. I can't do enough to be worthy in the sight of God. I cannot do enough in this world. I can't preach enough. You can't play enough. Y'all can't sing enough. Brother Wade can't do whatever Wade does. He can't do that enough. <laughs> I ain't figured it out yet. Still, you can't start out easy enough. You can't, we can't, none of us can do enough in this world to get into heaven. It is not about works. We'll never be about works. It is works after salvation that we have to look at. We, when we're saved, we're going to get a drive in us. We're going to get the Holy Spirit, and it's going to get up in us, and it's going to make us want to do more. With the Holy Spirit, we're going to want to go out and sing more or play more or preach more. We're going to want to get out and do it. We're going to have a, a, a drive behind us to do just that. But we ain't good enough in ourselves. When we get the Holy Spirit, when we get saved, when we get that salvation, when we get that unction behind us through the Holy Spirit, then we're going to want to go out. You're not going to want to stay inside these four walls. You're going to want to go out and up and down the roads, and you're going to go into all these other places, and you want to tell people about Jesus, and you want to hear uh, somebody's testimony. You're going to want to give a testimony. Everybody's got a testimony if you're saved. You're going to want to share it. You're going to want to share that. Tell people how you got saved. And you might have a story behind that. You might have, you might have a history. You might have a bad history. Jesus saved you. And then you get to tell about that. There's one thing today that will keep people from having a real, true relationship with Jesus, though. There's one thing. I'm going to take a wild guess what it might be. A dirty little word. It's called pride. Pride. There's a lot of people in this world. A lot of people in this world that will not come knowing grace and knowing uh, uh, salvation of Jesus Christ because of pride. I'm too bad. I've done too much wrong. I can't be saved. They've got a pride in them. My family didn't grow up in church. I don't want to be the black sheep to come to churches and know Jesus. they got pride in them. Let me tell you what my pastor said. Y'all know Ray Green much. The old saying is, swallow your pride. Preacher Ray says, don't swallow your pride. He says, spit that mess out. It taints your body. I agree 100%. You spit your pride out. Come to know Jesus. Come to accept Jesus. A proud person would be the opposite of someone who is poor in spirit, just like that person. There's no forgiveness. There's no reconciliation unless a person comes to the point where they say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And let me tell you this right now. It don't just stop at salvation. 
You might get up off that pew one day and you might make it up here to this old-fashioned altar and you might get down on your face and you might cry out to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of where I failed you. You might say that sometimes and ask Jesus in your heart. That's great. That's what we want. But you're not done being a sinner. You're going to continue to sin. Every one of us is going to sin. That, it's unfortunate, but that's the flesh. We're going to keep sinning. So once you get saved, don't just stop saying, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. you got to keep asking the Lord, Lord, just forgive me. I, I failed you. Lord, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm still sinning. I'm still dabbling in this sin life. I'm still doing what I'm not supposed to do. I'm doing things to hurt your feelings. Lord, please forgive me. Great blessings are found when people hum humble themselves before God. If you will humble yourself before God, brace yourself. Watch out for the blessing. But you've got to humble yourself before God. Congregations, churches have got to humble themselves before God. Great blessings will come to the church if the congregation would humble themselves and come to God. Chronicles 7.14 says, my, my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear, heal their land. I believe we live in a nation right now that needs to be humbling themselves. I believe we live in a state and a county and a community right now that needs to humble themselves. I'm not here for politics, but I'm going to be really blunt with you. Our nation is falling apart. Our nation is going to have to humble themselves and turn back to God. We don't turn back to God. Folks, it's up to the church. The church is the reason there's so much mess going on right now in our community. Why do you think that? I ain't going to, well, oxymoron to put gay marriage in the same sentence, but that's what it is. Why do you think gay marriage was passed in the state of North Carolina? Because the church didn't stand up. If the church would have took a stand on the word of God, that mess would have never passed. But we're cowards. We're cowards. We cowered out. We lost our backbone. We didn't take a stand. But it wasn't just the preachers. It's the churches. We did not take a stand. If the church don't take a stand, we're going to lose this thing. We're going to be underground. We're going to be like China. We're going to be hiding in the basements and trying to preach and, and pray that we don't get killed. They're going to take our Bibles. They're going to take our churches. They're going to burn our churches. They're going to tear it down. If we don't take a stand, take a stand on the word of God. Humble yourselves as a church. Humble yourselves as a Christian. Cry out to God and ask him to forgive us. Hey, you know what? When you're praying next time, ask God to forgive this nation. Ask God to forgive this state. Ask God to forgive this county. Ask God to forgive this community. Ask God to forgive this church. Ask God to forgive your pastor. Ask God to forgive your deacons. Ask God to forgive your Sunday school teachers. Next time you pray, humble yourself and ask God for forgiveness, not just of yourself, but as many people as can cross your mind. Ask God to forgive them. Because sometimes we forget to do that. Sometimes we forget it. That's Bible truth right there. we got to be sorry. we got to be sorry for what we've done. I mean... Sorry, I, I know with the girls and, and some of the kids I've had to deal with in the Bible club, say, you're sorry. Isn't that what we say? They've, they've hurt somebody, they've smacked somebody, or they've took their pitch or something like that, and you, you look at them, tell them you're sorry. Go 
Sorry. Sorry. Did you really mean that? No. That's how we are as Christians. Lord, I'm sorry. Did you mean it? No. You didn't. Humble yourself. And when you say, I'm sorry, you mean, I'm sorry, Lord. I've hurt your feelings. Lord, I've went against you completely. Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Father, forgive me. Number two, blessed are they that mourn. That's verse four. Let's look back over it is. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I like that. That's not what you think. There's a lot of debate over what Jesus means on this one. It doesn't refer to somebody that cries a lot. People that mourn. We do that. We mourn. We cry a lot just at the loss of someone. That's you know, we do that. But that's not where this is going. We know that God can and He will comfort the brokenhearted. And I'm glad he does. I'm so thankful. I, I can't imagine going through certain things in my life without a God that didn't comfort me. Without a God that didn't give me support. Without a God that didn't reassure me. Without a God that didn't touch my heart and lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm thankful I've got a God. I serve a God that can get me through the times of sorrow that we go through. But that's not what this is talking about right here. It refers to being broken because of the sin that's committed towards God. We, we sin against God. That hurts, don't it? You think my heavenly Father, my God, I'd never want to hurt his feelings. You kids, when you get older, you realize this. One of the hardest things in the world is to, to come to the realization that you may have disappointed or hurt your, your parents' feelings. Our Heavenly Father is the same way. We don't want to hurt His feelings. I don't want to make Him unhappy. I don't want to disappoint Him. That's the last thing I ever want to do is disappoint my God or my parents. But we do that. There's things in this life that we do that we disappoint uh, God over. And the best example of, 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 of being broken and asking for forgiveness in the Bible probably is David over in Psalms uh, 51. He was broken. He knew what he'd done. He knew, he knew he was an adulterer. He knew that he was a murderer. He knew it. He was a broken man. We need to be that broken. When we come to God, we don't just need to plop down on the bed one night and say, Lord, I, I messed up again today. Just if you will forgive me. we got to be broken when we come to him. I mean, get down on your face and cry out to God and say, Lord, I have, I have messed up. Lord, I have failed you in so many ways. Lord, can you forgive me? Will you forgive me? He says he will. In the same way we have to, to come before God for the sin that we have committed against him, just like David did, we've got to come before him. He knows our heart. If you're truly sorry, he knows that you're sorry. Man, he wants to hear it from you. He wants to have that conversation with you. He wants to have that time alone with just between you and him. And so that y'all can have th get things ironed out, get it hashed out. Lord, there's where I failed you, and then you just go through the whole spiel with him, and he listens to you, and he hears you, and he actually sits there and listens to you. He's not just sitting there, you know, with his little pen and, and just looking around. He's actually sitting there. And he is locked on you. He has his heart focused on yours, and he says, "I'm going to forgive you. Thank you for this time." Thank you for allowing me this opportunity to be with you. And we can't take this for granted. That's one of the things about being a Christian that I think we do is we take his forgiveness for granted. I really do. I feel like that. We we know that he's going to forgive us. We know. We, and it's, it's the Bible here. It's over in 1 John.
Romans 1, 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know that. We learned that growing up. That's just Bible truth right there. But I think we take it for granted because we know he's going to do it. So we just assume that he's going to do it. And so I'll just say, Lord, I messed up. Please forgive me. And we're going to go on. He says, I'll forgive you. But we're not mournful when we do it. We're not broken when we come to him. We don't need to be approaching God nonchalantly. All right, we can't go knowing that he will forgive us. We just can't approach him like that. We need to approach him, yes, knowing that he will forgive us, but we've got to approach him broken when we go to him. Brokenhearted, mournful, sorry that we did what we did. I mean truly sorry that we failed him and that we sinned against him. It, it despises God. Sin, that's a no-no. And that's one of the things about heaven I, I so look forward to. Is the fact that there is no sin there. Whatever ailments we might have here on this earth, whatever uh, sin problems we might have, whatever secret sins you might have in this life that nobody knows about, when we get to heaven, it's not there. We don't have to deal with it. We're not even going to know about it. We're not going to know sin in heaven. I love that. There is no sin, and we won't know sin there. I love that. There's no sin there. God despises it. So when we sin against him, he don't like that. But when we come to him broken and on our face and crying out to him mournful, yeah, he's going to forgive you for that. He likes that. He likes it when you come to him like that. Thirdly, blessed are the meek. Verse 5 says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The definition of meek is not someone who is weak. We don't use the word meek very often in, in nowadays mainly because people assume that meek means weak. That's the furthest thing from the truth. Meekness can't be identified as weakness. Maybe the better definition of meek is a person, this is one I got, says a meek person is someone who understands who and what they are in relation to other people. A meek person is someone who has a true healthy estimate of themselves. They know who they are. Being a meek person knows who they, they know who they are and what they are. Someone who sees themselves as a, as a human being with no claims to, to status or power or strength or anything like that. Um, they're not a Pharisee. <laughs> How's that? A meek person ain't a Pharisee. Because they're, they're pretty arrogant people. They understand who they are and they're able to treat people gentle and kind. What did that Pharisee do? He was bashing the tax collector, wasn't he? That's, that's not the type of person that a Christian should be. A, a, a Christian should not be one that would be bashing someone else for the way they are or for the way that they think or for the way that they do things. That's not Christ-like. So we've got to get away from that. So a meek person is not going to be like a Pharisee. They're going to be gentle. They're going to be kind. That's, that's, what he want, that's, what Je that's who Jesus was. Jesus was a meek man. And so, in, in your mind, if you think about who Jesus was, and just, just stop for a second and just picture what you think Jesus looks like in your mind. We've all seen the pictures, sitting in our Bibles, from the Bibles, we see them in some churches, and we see Jesus, this, this good-looking man, kind of staring up into heaven. Sometimes you see a dove. Sometimes you'll see him over there petting a lamb. Sometimes you'll see him squatted down there 
with young and that's 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 who we see Jesus as, is a neat person. Matthew seven twelve says, Therefore all things whatsoever ye do that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law of the prophets. That was Jesus. Listen to this. All things whatsoever ye do that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. He's telling us what we should be doing. That's the golden rule. Do unto others as you do unto them. That's what God or Jesus is telling us to do. Do unto others. Jesus was a meek person. Matthew 11, 29 says, this is Jesus, says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, or learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Jesus himself was telling us that he's a meek man. But, here's the thing about him. He may have been gentle. Right? He may have been kind and compassionate the way that we are to be as Christians. That's who Jesus is. I'm not going to do past tense. That's who he is. But when duty called, he stood for what he believed in. When duty called, he stood on his convictions. He knew what was right. Peter said it best. He said, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. He may have looked meek, not weak. He may have looked kind and gentle and loving. And he is. But when it was time to take a stand, he could, took a stand. That's the image of the church, folks. That is who a Christian should be. We need to be kind and gentle. We need to be meek like Jesus. But folks, when it comes time to take a stand on the Word of God, we take a stand on the Word of God. You take it and you run with it. That's our sword. This is our battlefield. We're going to go to war with a lot of people. We're going to go to war with the devil quite often right now. But we are to take that sword and we are to go into battle and we are to stand on our convictions. We have, well, we're supposed to have biblical morals. They're about out the window anymore too. But we've got to be convicted. When things are going south in this world, we need to be convicted by the Holy Spirit and know what is right what is wrong, and then we've got to fight. We've got to battle. We've got to battle hard with the Word of God. Be that meek person. Be kind and gentle, but we're going to have to take a stand. What characterizes a meek person like us as, as Jesus' disciples should be? Well, here's a couple things, and we'll move on. A meek person is controlled, not undisciplined. A meek person is humble. Not prideful. That's that hurts. A meek person is gentle, not easily provoked. A meek person is forgiving, not revengeful. A meek person is a quiet person who lives a quiet life. Now Titus 3.2 says, To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. That's something to live by right there. That's some good advice. That's sound advice right there for every one of us. I'm going to read it again. It says, To speak evil of no man, to be no brawler, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. That's a challenge, ain't it? That is a challenge to each one of us as Christians. That's a challenge to the church. Be meek. Be meek. I'm going to read it again. I like it. To speak no evil. no evil of no man, to be no brawlers, to be but gentle, showing all weakness unto all men. I'm not going to highlight that one, but 
burger across the kitchen table. I mean, goodness, pick it apart. That's what we want. They'd never be satisfied only uh, get involved in, in, in kingdom work only. Uh, and what, I, what I'm saying there is the church is going to go mow somebody's yard this Saturday. I'll give you that. There's more to it. That kingdom work, there's more to it. it you're only fulfilled by doing God's work and almost on a daily basis. Well, it don't matter what it is as long as you're, you're doing kingdom work. That's what matters. So someone that's really into it is not just satisfied doing yard work once a year. They're going to want to go and do more for the kingdom. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness can never do enough or ever be enough for the kingdom of God. It's that hunger and that thirst for the things of God that it drives us. As a church, that's what we want. As the church, that's what we should want, is to have that drive behind us, to stay hungry and to stay thirsty and to want the things of God constantly. I'm never satisfied with what I have. Now, I'm not talking about worldly possessions. I'm talking about things of God. Things of God, I'm never, I always want more from God and more and more. More blessings. That's not being selfish. I love my Jesus more than anything. And I love the fact that when we go and we do for him, whatever it may be, whatever we do for him, that he rewards us with his blessings. And we're building up these treasures in heaven. And when I get to heaven, I was telling the church this not long ago, we're talking about what we're going to see when we get to heaven. We're going to finally get to see Jesus face to face. I think the first thing I see when I get to heaven is Jesus. Because I'm going to be down on my face and I'm going to try to rake up what few jewels I have, what few treasures I might have, and I'm going to push them up to his feet. It ain't enough. For what he's done for me, I can't do enough there is to give him. But the first thing I see will be his feet. I don't know when I'll get up, if I'll get up. But I'm going to work as hard as I can down here on earth to try to build up these treasures for him. Because it's for him. Not for me. I don't deserve it. He does. I'm going to work as hard as I can to get as many treasures as I can for him in just the short amount of time I'm here on earth to give to him. God needs people today who hunger and thirst after him. Let me tell you, he needs churches. I think we've got a little lax right here. I think we've got got away from church last year. Not being able to come in. I believe we got a little lazy. I hate to say it. I don't know about y'all, but I'm just saying in general, the church in general, we got lazy. We're not hungry. We're not thirsty enough anymore. We got so set in our ways. It's amazing how in just a few months we got our ways changed. How convenient it is to not go to church because it's this church. It's okay to miss church. We got away from it. He wants us to be hungry. He wants us to be thirsty. He's looking for hungry, thirsty churches to go out and to be his hands and feet. The Bible says those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. <laughs> and some of the relationship with Jesus it stopped growing after salvation. They were filled. They feel like they got saved and they were filled, and that was it. Something's missing. If you feel like you got filled that day, something's missing. We need to have a constant desire to be filled by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit. 
I don't know who wrote this. There's a, a preacher wrote this one time. It says we were saved and stuffed. Saved and stuffed. And he says it this way. Satan smiles and says, I have no worries about them causing me any trouble. Because they were saved and stuffed. You need to be doing more. Get out of this rut. Get unstuck and do more for Jesus. When Jesus gave these Beatitudes, uh, they should be obvious in every believer's life. When we read these Beatitudes and we study these, it needs to be obvious in the Christian life. Very obvious. All that we do. So I'm going to close with this question for you. Are these Beatitudes, at least these first four so far, are they obvious in your life? Can others see it in your life? That's, I can answer that. I can answer for myself. I can answer for y'all. Are they obvious 